So I've told you a little bit about podcasting before. This, mm-hmm. this show, I have you on this show. This is uh, for a part of a show called City on the Edge. And it's uh, a man on the street interview, which is where okay. we just interview people who live in Albuquerque. And that's it. I do not live in Albuquerque. I live in Rio Rancho. Oh, I'm sorry. You can't be on the show then. Darn, no, I'm just kidding. Okay, home. <laughs> no, but you work in Albuquerque. How many hours a week do you spend in Albuquerque? Oh, God. 40? I work anywhere from 40, I'd say about 45 hours work-wise, okay. and then I volunteer in Albuquerque on Saturdays. Okay, okay. So you know Albuquerque enough. So you oh, are, yeah. I'm born and raised in Albuquerque. Oh, so you were born. So I'm going to go and consider you a citizen for the, well, even though you're not. Technically, you still qualify. So as I understand, we said earlier, this is your very first podcast you've been part of, right? Yes. It's funny. Podcasting, even though it's been around for over, what, 12 years now, there's still a fair amount of people who really don't know what podcasting is. So I find it quite interesting. Uh, what do you know about podcasting? I've listened to some of it on, like, radio. Um, my husband listens to it. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly, I just know about podcasts is it's a really good way to waste time when you're driving uh, cross-country and stuff. So I've heard waste time, but but I've also heard that there's... <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Well, so anyways, this podcast, uh, City on the Edge, they've been around for a while, and I'm mm-hmm. very, very happy to be joining them. They're all about Albuquerque's history and culture. There's an episode of this podcast, and mm-hmm. it is about Ernie Pyle. Do you know who Ernie Pyle is? I have no idea who he is. Okay. My name's August. I've lived in Albuquerque since 1967. Okay, okay. So you've been here for quite a while. So we are doing an episode on a gentleman from Albuquerque by the name of Ernie Pyle. Have you ever heard of Ernie Pyle? I've heard the name, but I don't know who he is. Is he uh, any relation to Gomer Pyle? My name is Yvonne. All right, Yvonne, and how long have you been here in Albuquerque for? All my life. All your life? Yes. All your life. All my good long life. You're definitely an Albuquerque. You're definitely an Albuquerque Native. native. Yes, I am. So can you tell me, what do you know about Ernie Pyle? Ernie Pyle, uh, an American journalist. That's correct. That's correct. Pulitzer Prize. That's also correct. Journalist. Yes. Now, do you know what is significant about Ernie Pyle and Albuquerque? Well, I believe he lived here. Uh I don't know. I don't know for how long. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I do know that there is a school, mid-school here in Albuquerque named after him. And how do you know that? Well, I worked for the public schools, and so I worked at Ernie Pyle Middle School. Oh, very cool, very cool. All right. Yes, and welcome to the city on the edge. This week we're going to be talking about Ernie Pyle, and I am Ty Bannerman. I'm Nora Hickey. And I'm Mike Smith. All right. And uh, I guess we, uh, we chose this topic because his name pops up in our city. Yeah, but who is this guy? But people don't necessarily know who he is. What's his deal? Um, who is that mystery man? A lot of people suggest that he might be related to Gomer Pyle. Yes. <laughs> and he's not. He's yes. a, a real person, right. whereas Gomer Pyle is a fictional person. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you guys, uh, Mike? What do you, Mike? You, you, we know you did no research on this one. So what I is did a little. I looked through my shelf. I was like, "Do I have any books about Ernie Pyle?" I found one mention. I learned something. So let's give us the. You'll be the baseline for today. Right. What is what is your knowledge of Ernie Pyle? 
Well, who is this guy? We all know he rose from the dead. And he stalks the night. <laughs> okay, I'm going to correct you right there. That's Dracula. Okay. Okay. It, yeah, but easy this is, mistake to but make. But this no, is in the Hamas Mountains. He was a World War II correspondent. Then he became a vampire. Is that the same guy? No, different. No. I th- okay. I think somehow you've completed Ernie Pyle and Dracula, which oh. is a, a pretty good feat. Well, mm-hmm. no, Ernie Pyle was a World War II correspondent. Oh. You're right about that. Okay. Uh, and before that, he was. Um, Famous for being a columnist who traveled from town to town oh. out in oh, yeah. the United States. I was thinking of Dracula. <laughs> uh. Sorry. <laughs> right. I now. get them mixed up. Ernie Pyle, Dracula. Right. And I want to state from the beginning, we mean no disrespect okay. to Ernie Pyle because Mike keeps confusing him with Dracula. Well, um, you know, I've been sick. I've been drinking a lot of cold medicine. <laughs> it's... Watching a lot of right. Twilight. Yeah, he's dreaming, a, dreaming he's my dreams. A bit of a mood. All right, All right, sorry everybody. Okay, all right. Ernie Pyle. Now, who was Ernie Pyle? Okay, so let's start with. Um, okay, so we've got a library named after him. We've got a school right. named after him okay. in town here. Yes. Uh, he was born in 1900 in Indiana. All right. And he was Hoosier. from Romania. No, no. My oh, sorry, sorry. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just joking. Okay, I thought it would be funny. Sorry. Never mind. Okay, Ernie Pyle. It was kind of funny. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. We haven't done one of these in a long time. I'm just really excited to hang out with you guys again. Punchy. That's that's like (laughs) it's fun. You know, I haven't seen you all in a while. I know it is nice. He does look kind of pale, and he's because he's in black and white. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Well, we don't have any good vampire mythology in Albuquerque. You know, yeah. Just trying to fill that gap. That's a different show. Yeah, you're right. Going to delve into that. All right, that would be cool. Oh, that would be. All right. So Ernie Pyle, born in 1900, Hoosier. Okay. Wrote uh, newspaper columns traveling all around the country. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So why is he famous in Albuquerque? Does it have something to do with him donating his house to be a library? Yeah, his house was um, was purchased by the city actually oh. after his oh. death. I, oh, I was okay. wrong. I thought it was huh. donated, but oh. uh, yeah. So he uh, he he uh, his last home was okay. here mm-hmm. in Albuquerque, okay. and his wife lived and here. really his main home. I think his main home after yeah. his childhood ended. Huh. Um, do you want to give us like a capsule uh, explanation of his, where he's coming from, Nora? Because I'm a Midwesterner. Yeah, I thought, you know, there's some uh, Midwestern pride yeah. here. You just know everything about every Midwesterner, I right? do, Good. and I have family from Indiana, huh. but not Dana, Indiana. Is that where, where he's Ernie from? Ernie Pyle is from. Huh. Ernie Pyle, born in... 1900 in Dana, Indiana. A rural community. Huh. Only child. Huh. Um, close to his mom. Less intimate with his dad. That was a quote in a book that I read. Interesting. Yeah, which I think that's just like kind of how like, it goes in yeah. 1900 America. Totally. You don't, you don't hug. Right. I don't know if you <laughs> hug or not, but... Maybe on your father's deathbed, he looks at you as if he's maybe proud. that's that's what you write in your memoir yeah okay Uh, so he's he's pretty mischievous and smart early on he's a good student um in high school he's already you know sneaking smokes Mm. oh Mm -hmm. ernie driving around his dates 
I thought they would just let kids smoke back then. You know, you're a baby. You're crying. Here, smoke on this cigarette, and you'll shut up for a little while. No, that's whiskey. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Give him a bottle full of whiskey and a cigarette, and he'll be fine. <laughs> so a bit of a bit of a ne'er do well is what you're saying. Bit of yeah, a, a, a to- rascal. A rascal. Yeah, because um, he wasn't a delinquent or anything. He was no, just no, sort of a rascal. And totally liked um, a likable guy by huh. all accounts. Yeah, and so he goes into. The Navy. Yeah. So what I read was his um, family was a farming family, Mm -hmm. and so he was expected to be a farmer. And he didn't like farming. He had itchy feet. Yes. Right. So and one of the ways you get out of Indiana as a young man is the Navy. Yeah. Just like my grandpa. Right. And there was a war going on at that point. There was World War One. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he and I don't know much about his Navy career naval career but one thing that jumped out was that he at one point went to the philippines and he had a young filipino man um show him around i just want to say real quick here yes he did not see action during world war one he didn't get shipped out until the war was over that's called world war one done right yeah really (laughs) you're gonna do it seriously don't die in a pointless war you idiots but it bothered him for the rest of his life he felt like he'd been uh like he was some kind of um imposter Yeah, he didn't help out when he could, he yeah. thought, yeah. Oh, no, I okay, wish he could so have the, died in some razor well, wire on a hill, Yeah, I think, I think he kind of goes through a journey yeah. with his understanding of war, huh. you know, and he writes mm-hmm. it all down. But, but carry on, so he's in the Philippines. So he's in the Philippines, um, and he and his friends make friends with this young Filipino guy, and they end up helping him stow away to get to America, Dang. and then he pays his fare to get to Indiana, and he helps him enroll in a Bloomington, Indiana high school. Wow. And I just thought that was kind of indicative of his personality. Yeah. 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 That's I think awesome. One theme that you see throughout all his writing is he's very much about the, the everyman. The, it's a good thing mm-hmm. to be about. Yeah. yeah, like he would write about normal people that he met, and... Wrote about them in a way that was very like sympathetic to who right. they were. So this is kind of totally in keeping with that character, I think. Right. Wow. And establishing that interest in other people and, yeah, helping them. Um, so he was a student at Indiana University, which is in Bloomington. Hmm. He was, again, a good student in the journalism school, well-liked on campus. Hmm. Um, but he ended up quitting college because, like Ty said, he got this wanderlust. He just... Wanted to get out, wanted to explore. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Understandable. And I think it was, somehow he wound up in D.C., right? Yeah. Mm. And he, how, do we know how he wound up in D.C.? Was it because he was writing or? Yeah, it was because he was writing in Indiana first. And then around 1926, again, he hated desk work and he was relegated to a desk job right. at whatever Indiana publication he was working on. So he left Indiana for D.C. because he was offered a job there. Right, and it's in D.C. that he attends a Halloween party and he meets that girl that I drive with, as he always referred to her in his her. columns, her. Uh, Geraldine Elizabeth Siebolds, a.k.a. Jerry. And uh, she was from Minnesota. They met in D.C. And then they kind of fell into this life of um, traveling together mm-hmm. and visiting all these little towns Whoa. across the country. Mm-hmm. And that became his 
beat in a way was writing these lovely little columns about life in small town America or, or big town America That's a cool or wherever, thing to write about. I like yeah. that. and writing about the ordinary people that he met along the way. I would like to write such a column for New Mexico. Hire me, New Mexico Board of Tourism. Yeah. Hit me up. Yeah, totally. Mike Smith is available. <laughs> that would be fun. Well, no, I love studying little places. I love Toby Smith's book, Dateline New Mexico, where he highlights a lot of the small towns yeah. in, uh, mm-hmm. in the state. He writes about Pep and Grenville and like all these little tiny mm-hmm. spots. Right. Cool book, out of print, yeah. well worth finding. And this column turned out to be really popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, he became like a you know bard of huh. America in huh. a way. Yeah. So. And another thing he became a bard of was aviation. Yeah, huh. that's right. Mm-hmm. He didn't fly himself, though, right? No, but he logged, I think, 100,000 miles in airplanes at the time. And these are early model airplanes. Hmm. Yeah, these are the yeah. ones like that are held together by... You know, cardboard and duct tape. They're like looks canvas like. and wood. Right. Yeah. 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 Totally. There's one hanging up in the air, Albuquerque airport. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, nope, not getting in that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. There's something wrong with you to get into this. But, but Ernie was into it. And they yeah. hosted a lot of, Jerry and Ernie hosted a huh. lot of the people involved in aviation at the time. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. So how does he get to Albuquerque? Well, I read that his first stop there was because he had the influenza. Oh. Um, and his doctor mm. said he needed three months to rest in a warmer climate. Huh. But it actually ended up being very wet and wintry oh. in New Mexico, <laughs> oh, West Texas, Kind of like this winter. Arizona. There's no yeah. guarantee. Sorry, bro. So, he, uh, so he's traveling all around the country. He gets sick, gets stuck in, in Albuquerque. Huh. Which I feel like that's like a typical way to come to Albuquerque. Usually you get stuck here for whatever reason, like the famous way is your your car Mm -hmm. breaks down. Um, And he loved it, right? Like he loved the Southwest Mm -hmm. in in particular. Yeah. He liked the, he, even though it wasn't that sunny, he would always remark about sitting in the sun and Mm -hmm. wanting to return to that throughout his life when he was away from Albuquerque. Probably a lot sunnier than, you know, Indiana winters. But certainly yeah. in D.C. winters. Something should yeah. be written about the exodus of Indianans from there to New Mexico. Because it comes up all the time. Is that right? Mm-hmm. A lot of tubercular people um, went from Indiana to here. Yeah, I think they must have had a major outbreak there and everybody was like, go to New Mexico. Yeah. It's the place to go. And some of his friends in Albuquerque were originally from Indiana. Yeah. Carl Taylor, episodes two and three of our podcast. Oh, was Indiana. he a pal with? No. He's from Indiana, he's and in Indiana. the guy who owned his cabin that he was killed in was from Indiana. That's interesting. Oh, wow. Okay. But, uh, so there's a movement. Love the Southwest. He wrote some columns, of course, about, about the Southwest. And here's how you know he was a true Albuquerque resident at mm-hmm. heart, a true Albuquerque citizen. He went to a Thunderbirds air show. Did you ever see that Albuquerque the magazine? That's the number one thing you have to do to call yourself a true <laughs> Albuquerque <laughs> resident. Go to a Thunderbirds air show. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I like Well, there this. it is. I'm not... <laughs> He wrote a nasty thing about Santa Fe. Oh, hilarious. Really? He wrote about not being into Santa Fe. Oh, really? So you knew that he loved the Southwest, but he didn't like Santa Fe. Oh, man. That means he has to be Albuquerque, right? We've got to do an episode on Albuquerque versus Santa Fe sometime, and we should research it like crazy. I wrote a column on that once, and I found the funniest stuff. My favorite anti-Santa Fe comment was, you can't walk anywhere. You can't swing your arm without hitting a dusty Subaru. (laughs) I was the proud owner of a dusty Subaru. I I believe you're probably right. Courtney always tries to park next to a Subaru. Yeah, and you wonder when did it start? Was it the 
the Ernie Pyle. No, I found days. like 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 intertribal conflicts going back oh. to the 1800s between this area and that. And certainly yeah. there was a rivalry over the capital. Yeah. Oh, the, there was that, of, of course. Yeah. And, stuff. Yeah, so. and the, the railroad. And yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he didn't anyway. get stuck here for too long. He he picked up his uh, his life again and kind of went back wandering around with that girl that he drives with, uh, Jerry. And then at some point. And this wasn't exactly clear to me from my research, but at some point he decided he needed a home base. Hmm. Right. He was sick of living in hotels or Hmm. whatever. He wanted to have a place he could come back to and work on a little bit, and it would be his home. Like, he still Hmm. wanted to wander around. To put his coffin full of dirt. Right. Right. (laughs) And weirdly... (laughs) (laughs) Wait. (laughs) Did I say right to that? Because I was thinking about the... (laughs) (laughs) Mike I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. I'm just in a goofy mood tonight. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like, okay. All right. <laughs> what was I talking? About? I think Ernie Pyle, Pyle is really cool. I like him. I, like, <laughs> I don't know why I'm making fun of him. <laughs> save this for. I'm uh, he might be a vampire. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Sorry. It's not exactly. <laughs> I think Ernie Pyle is cool, and that's okay. a really rad thing to do to have your house become a library when you die. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't anyway. think he necessarily right. chose that, well. but okay. So, um, but he hasn't he hasn't moved to Albuquerque yet. Okay, he they know they both like the Southwest. Him and Jerry. Do you know where he went first before Albuquerque? Did you get that far in your no. research, Nora? No. Here's the weird thing. He wrote Transylvania. That <laughs> I didn't even say it. I was thinking it. <laughs> Nora. <laughs> Santa Fe. (laughs) (laughs) Even though he wrote a nasty column about Santa Fe, he thought, oh, maybe I'll buy some land in Santa Fe. So he bought some land in Santa Fe. But he decided not to to live there because the guy who he bought land from in the the development or whatever printed an ad saying, Ernie Pyle's going to live in this neighborhood and you could be his neighbor. Tacky. Yeah, super tacky. And one thing Ernie Pyle always valued was his privacy. He liked to be, he didn't mind getting stopped on the street like once a day and right. somebody saying, hey, I like what you do. Uh, but he did not want to be like the attraction for your new <coughs> suburb. Mm-hmm. Right? It's wild. So instead, he started to look south in, uh, in Albuquerque. And at that time, this is uh, the war period. So I think Knob Hill had already been starting to develop uh, the University Heights area, hmm. I guess. Uh, would have been developed at this time. But the East Mesa, as they called it back then, so like everything uh, east of like Yale was hmm. pretty sparsely populated. And so um, he looked into purchasing some land at the present day area of uh, Girard and uh, Santa Monica huh. and had builders come and build him a house because he was, at this point, World War II had started for the British. Hmm. And he wanted to go to England and see what was going on. So huh. he went to England and you know followed the war from there, wrote columns while his house was being built. Interesting. Hmm. He came back from England, came to his house, saw it kind of all set up for the first time, and, and Jerry had been there and started working on it. Huh. And he fell in love with it. And he stuck around there for a little while um, before jetting off back to, uh, back to Europe because he was very interested in covering the war. And, and part of this was his feeling of having been something of an imposter wow. for 
not having served in World War One. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I want to read the column. He wrote a column about why he chose Albuquerque for New Mexico Magazine. This came out in 1942. Why Albuquerque? By Ernie Pyle. People all over the country are always saying to me, you travel constantly, and you've been all over America and have seen all the nice places to live. So you choose Albuquerque out of the whole United States? Why Albuquerque? Well, that's a hard question to answer. There are many little reasons, of course, but probably the main thing is simply a deep, unreasoning affection for the Southwest. I guess it's like being in love with a woman. You don't love a woman because she wears number three shoes or eats left-handed or has a diamond set in her front tooth. You just love her because you love her and you can't help yourself. That's the way we are about the Southwest. I was born and raised in the farm country of Indiana. That girl, who is Mrs. Pyle, came from among the lakes and trees of lovely Minnesota. But we both adjourned to the east and lived and worked in Washington and New York most of our adult lives. But finally, two pairs of itching feet combined to send us on our way into what is probably the freakiest newspaper job in America. We just simply wander constantly around and write a daily column about it for the Scripps Howard newspapers and many others too. When we left Washington seven years ago, we stored our scant possessions in a warehouse. For the next six years, we were without a home or even a base of any sort. We lived constantly in hotels or on boats. We took our vacations wherever we happened to be. We have been sick in hotel rooms all the way from Alaska to Santiago, Chile. We have had clothes and books and suitcases cashed away in the homes of friends clear from Los Angeles to New York. We do like this gypsy life. It frees you of a great many responsibilities. You can always pay your bill and run out to some other place before events catch up with you. You are free to live in a way that isn't possible to a permanent resident. Gypsying is in our blood, and even today, after 250,000 miles of going away from where we are, we still couldn't bear to think of settling down permanently. And yet, as the years of wandering rolled over us, we began to sense a lack of something. We realized we had become human whirling dervishes. We had become footloose, finally to the point of just swinging forever through space without ever coming down. We were like trees growing in the sky, without roots. So at last we decided to acquire a base, not for the purpose of settling down, not a permanent hearthside at all, but just some definite walls in a definite place that we could feel were ours. A sort of a home plate that we could run to on occasion and then run away again from. Now, we had first seen the Southwest way back in 1926 when we came through in a Model T Ford Roadster on a crazy kid tour of America. We had loved it at that first sight. Then, in these more recent years of traveling, we had hit the Southwest, as we did with almost all other parts of the nation, at least once a year. We became better and better acquainted with the desert country. We made personal friends. There grew in us an overwhelming warmth of feeling for the uncanny sweeps of empty space in this part of the world. And thus it was that when in late 1940 we decided to build this so-called base somewhere in America, we didn't even have to take a vote on where it should be. We just decided by acclamation. We had never discussed it before, but we knew without asking. That place was New Mexico. Under our original plans, we would have been in this house only one month of each year while we took our annual vacation. But circumstances stepped in and took a hand. The war and sickness and other events shaped our course until in this past year we have spent four months in our new house in Albuquerque instead of one. For the first time in our lives, we have become householders. 
We haven't stopped traveling, and we don't think of ourselves as living permanently, even in our own home, but in these four months, we have gotten pretty well acquainted with this little center of the universe that we retreat to, and we are not sorry we built our base in Albuquerque. By the time this appears in print, I will be again far away, but the house will be here for us to come back to, and all the things we like about being in Albuquerque will be here when we return, and here are the things that we like about living in Albuquerque. We like it because we have a country mailbox instead of a slot in the door. We like it because our front yard stretches as far as you can see, and because old Mount Taylor, 65 miles away, is like a framed picture in our front window. We like it because when we look to the westward, we can look clear over and above the city of Albuquerque and on beyond, it seems, halfway to the Pacific Ocean. We like it because you can cash a check almost anywhere in Albuquerque without being grilled as though you were a criminal. And because, after your second trip to a filling station, the gas pumper calls you by name. We like it because people are friendly and interested in you, and yet they leave you alone. To a vain fellow like me, it is pleasant to be stopped on the streets downtown by perfect strangers and told they enjoy your column, and yet these thoughtful strangers do not ask anything of you and do not keep you standing in fretfulness. People in Albuquerque realize that our life and work is one of seeing thousands and thousands of people a year all over the world, and that when we come home to Albuquerque to rest, we do want to see a few people, but not thousands, and so they are considerate of us. And we like it here because you can do almost anything you want, within reason. In four months, I haven't been out of overalls more than half a dozen times, and I go to the Alvarado Hotel's swell Cocina Cantina, always in my overalls, and nobody raises an eyebrow. We like it because we can have Navajo rugs in the house and pinon and juniper bushes in our yard and western pictures on our knotty pine walls. We like it because you can take a Sunday afternoon spin into the mountains and see deer and wild turkey, and because I have a workbench where I make crude little end tables and such stuff for our house. We like it because you aren't covered constantly with smoke and soot, and because the days are warm and the nights are cool, and because the weirdest kinds of desert weeds are always springing up in our bare south lot. We like it because we can see scores of miles in any direction from our house, and yet we can drive downtown in seven minutes. We like it because the meadow larks hidden in the sage across the road from our house sing us awake in the summer dawn. These meadow larks sing the oddest things. One of them says over and over, your face is awfully pretty, and another one says, here comes the preacher. Every night around nine, two rabbits come to nibble on our lawn. About once a week, when we rise early, there are quail in our front yard. We have actually counted as many as 50. And when we go out onto the porch, they don't fly away with a frightened whirring of wings. They just walk slowly across the road and inside the concealing sage. We like it out here because we seem to go to bed early and get up early, and certainly out here, he who does not see the dawn at least once a week is missing perhaps the loveliest thing the desert has in its horn of plenty. We have seen sunrises so violently beautiful but they were almost frightening, and I am only sorry I can't capture the sunsets and the thunderstorms and the first snows on the Sandias and take them east and flaunt them in people's faces. We like it here because no more than half of our friends who write us know how to spell Albuquerque. We like it because there aren't any streetcars and because you see lots of men on Central Avenue in cowboy boots. We like it because you can see Indians making silver jewelry and you can see sheepskins lying all over a vacant downtown lot drying in the sun. And we like it because the dirt street in front of our house washes into such deep gullies that not many people care to drive over it. 
We like it because Albuquerque is still small enough that you always see somebody you know when you go downtown. We like it because the whole tempo of life is slower than in the big cities. We like it because in Albuquerque, a pedestrian waits for the traffic light even though there may not be a car in sight. We like Albuquerque because in spite of the great comfortable sense of isolation you feel here, still you do not suffer from over-isolation. For people here to live lives that are complete and full. We want for little, even in the nebulous realm of the mind. There is no famine of thought in our surroundings. In the Southwest character, there is a sufficiency which, though not complacent, has in it something of the desert's charm. And we like it because you can drive half an hour from home and buy a burro for $5, in case you want a burro. And we like it here because we're on top of the world in a way, and because we are not stifled and smothered and hemmed in by buildings and trees and traffic and people. We like it because the sky is so bright and you can see so much of it. And because out here you actually see the clouds and the stars and the storms instead of just reading about them in the newspaper. They become a genuine part of your daily life and half the entire horizon is yours in one glance just for the looking, and the distance sort of gets into your soul and makes you feel that you too are big inside. Yes, there are lots of nice places in the world. I could live with considerable pleasure in the Pacific Northwest, or in New England, or on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, or in Key West, or California, or Honolulu. But there is only one of me, and I can't live in all those places. So, if we can have only one house, and that's all we want, then it has to be in New Mexico, and preferably right at the edge of Albuquerque, where it is now. So, impressions of uh, Ernie Pyle's Albuquerque, what do you think? That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I think that he nails a lot of stuff about Albuquerque that's still nice about it today. What right. things did you think were still like applicable? Like because meadowlarks? They're just everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Not meadowlarks, but um, <laughs> man, roadrunners. Roadrunners. Oh, yeah. yeah. We're lousy with roadrunners. We have yeah. loads in this So many. I watched we one today. in like, our neighborhood. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a nesting pair in my neighborhood. Cool. Hmm. Their yeah. nests are so they're the worst nest builders of the bird kingdom. Mm-hmm. They really are <laughs> terrible. They're like they, it's literally like four sticks. It's just enough to keep the egg from rolling away. Wow. Well, I guess it does Ingenious. the job then. Yeah. 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 Uh, they're so saving like, their energy to kill rattlesnakes. Yeah, that's true. They're yeah, that's true. You know what? Just you do you roadrunners. So obviously, I, oh go ahead. Well, I think he got the familiarity that you can develop so quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, that gas station attendant who right. knew his name after two visits. That's annoying. The fact what? that you, what? you always run into people you know downtown. Yeah, right? yeah, that's true. That's still the case. That's not changed. I mean, I think but I also that they don't bug you because he yeah. has some notoriety. Right. Know, and they're not all right. over. They're not hounding him. Yeah. Yeah. There's good and bad to it. And sometimes I think, wouldn't it be neat to go somewhere and not run into five people you know, and you just go get the thing you were going right. out to get? Yeah. <laughs> I find that it's, uh, Albuquerque's, it's, it's not so crazy right. as a much smaller town might be, but right. it's nice to run into people from time no, to time. No, I actually you know? like it overall. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. yeah. And I love getting a burrow for $5. Oh, that's I know. True. I mean, yeah, that you was rode your burrow over here, didn't yeah. you? Your Probably to Harris. I bet that's where they got him. <laughs> I was wondering about that. So obviously yeah. he's he's describing an Albuquerque that's gone now. Yeah. Um, and what an interesting one in that development has started on the East Mesa, which is oh, where man. I live now. But, you know, there's a picture of him looking out of his front window on Girard. Right. Which, you know, anybody in Albuquerque knows that 
looking out west from Gerard is just a bunch of houses and there's a subway on the north part, you know, and stuff like that. But he's looking out and he can see nothing. There's Mm -hmm. nothing out there. It's just the mesa sloping away down to the river. Volcano. The volcanoes in the Mm -hmm. distance, you know, it looks like he's in the middle of nowhere. So pretty cool. That whole, man, I would love that gig, just driving around, writing about small towns. It sounds awesome. You know what, though? This is something that I found in my research is that people were like, oh, you have the best job. And it was actually really hard because he had six columns that he had to write. And he just... He had to go from town to town huh. and find out what was happening. It's like mining people from yeah. the shores a bit. And then just like pump it out, you know, huh. like crank it out. Quick, quick, quick. Tell me some interesting thing that right. happened to you faster. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I think it got really exhausting for right. him. Well, and another thing, I huh. mean, he vaguely alludes to sickness in his column oh, yeah. as a reason that they often had to stay and why they stayed in Albuquerque for longer. And what he's referring to is is mental illness. Uh, um, he and his wife had some serious mental health concerns, and mm-hmm. he suffered from alcoholism and depression. Oh man! Um, and was often, you know, basically like couldn't muster the strength to go out. And especially at this time, with the war beginning, he had very conflicted feelings about this. Mm. And then his wife had very serious problems. Mm-hmm. Um, to the degree that she would have full-on breakdowns where she wouldn't get out of bed for days and days. And uh-huh. this took some major strain on their life. Um, during this period while he's in Albuquerque, his wife was going through one of those sta- one hmm. of those breakdowns. And he was very, very worried about her. He uh, mentioned in a letter that she had tried the gas by this point, which Ooh. is... I mean, she tried to kill herself uh, with the oven, oh, wow. um, you yeah. know, using gas. And fortunately, she had not succeeded. But he was obviously very concerned about her and especially concerned about if he continued to um, write about World War II, he was going to have to leave and he was going to have to leave her alone. Right. And he felt compelled to do this. Um, so he got a dog for her named uh, Cheetah. Hmm. It's a little uh, Shetland Terrier or Shetland um, what's sheep it? dog or uh, what's Lassie Collie Collie Shetland Collie that's it named Cheetah because uh, because Jerry had always wanted a pet Cheetah specifically um, and he hoped that this would be helpful for her and kind of coming out of her current breakdown mm-hmm. and then in the future would be something to hopefully keep her from having those troubles. Mm-hmm. And indeed, it worked. She came around, and they both had this kind of lovely life for a little while in Albuquerque, where they doted on their dog, and they added another dog mm. uh, named Piper, which was a Great Dane. And it was sort of they they loved their dogs, and they were able to kind of bond over the care of the animals. Um, and you know, everything seemed great until Piper died. Piper got Uh-oh. some some kind of sickness, and he died. Mm. And then Jerry started to get, you know, sad again, basically. And right around this time, um, Ernie Pyle was commissioned to go head over to the European theater in World War II. And so he did. Hmm. Um, while he was over there, did you read a little bit about his, uh, his, his uh, lifestyle in World War II? Like kind of what he was all about? Yeah, I read a bit that he first went to North Africa mm-hmm. and then to Italy Right. And was with the soldiers, you know, a war correspondent. Um, 
and one close call in Italy with a, a bomb, something going off and basically his helmet saving him and, yeah. you know, seeing a lot of death and right. really close to it. Exactly. And he would travel with the, you know, the, the army in this case, and he would, he really enjoyed being around the infantry. He thought the infantry mm-hmm. was really the most like heroic of the, uh, the soldiers and he would go with them and live like they did, and you know, in every single way, even though he could, you know, leave at any time, basically. Right. And he wrote his columns about the infantry that mm-hmm. um, that he met and told their stories in a way that um, gained him fame to a degree that he had not yet seen. Like he had, he was already fairly famous. But his war correspondence in particular propelled him to like the next level of he was like a superstar reporter. Like Justin Bieber level. <laughs> like like Justin wow. Bieber. Like Eleanor Roosevelt was writing him letters mm-hmm. and you know, stay, oh. like uh visiting him and, and so forth in DC. When he was in DC, he would have lunch with Eleanor Roosevelt or like the president and that wow. kind of thing. So it was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, and he always wrote about the the infantry in a way that was very like sympathetic and very much about their everyman status, right? Mm-hmm. And so, in particular, he endeared himself to them. Interesting. Um, he did have a brief period where he was on a naval ship, and he he had been navy himself, mm-hmm. but he thought it was an awfully cushy lifestyle compared to what the infantry was going through, and so he kind of was dismissive of the navy and his columns mm-hmm. about them. Mm-hmm. Um, which gained him some enmity from from people in the Navy. So he was all about the infantry. He came back um, after that, and uh, I'm not exactly sure where on the timeline this is, but he came back to Albuquerque, and Jerry was in a really bad way, Um, and he didn't know what to do, and he didn't know how to help her. She was at a point where he was sure that she wasn't going to get better without some major jolt. And he decided that what that jolt should be would be a divorce. Hmm. And so he divorced her. Go ahead, Nora. I think you've got a... Oh, no, I was just thinking oh. of when that was in his in yeah, the year. Yeah, it's hard to say. Like he, he came three or 44. back and forth from the theater. And during one of these periods, he was so distraught and that he went and um, filed for divorce and actually went before the judge claiming incompatibility between him and Jerry uh, without her attending. She did not attend. And it didn't help. (laughs) It didn't help at all. It didn't help either of them. Neither one of them were happy with this situation. Um, I think she stayed in the house and he lived with some friends during that time. And then he went back to the European theater. And then when he came back, he decided that it was just, it hadn't accomplished what he'd hoped for. Mm-hmm. And so he actually remarried Jerry. Wow. Well, and what I read was that they remarried by proxy because that was when he was abroad. Oh, okay. So he actually remarried her while he was abroad. While he was abroad. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So they, they had a really super tempestuous relationship. And it's, it got bad, like real bad. Um, Jerry's suicide attempts got worse and worse. Uh, 
there's one incident where she inflicted uh, like 20 stab wounds on herself in the bathroom and they had to like break down the bathroom door to get her into the ambulance and so forth. So it was very hard and it's, it's, it was not exactly the best time in Albuquerque for either of them, but I think... And this all happened in what's now the library? That's the library, the Ernie Pyle Library. Um, He was called back to to correspond on the war and after um after he his final stay in Albuquerque during which he like met with uh Clyde Tingley and Clyde Tingley presented him with a watch Clyde Tingley had wanted to have a big like welcoming ceremony mm-hmm. for uh for Ernie Pyle but found that there was so much interest that there was no hall or theater mm-hmm. that could actually hold everyone and wow. Ernie Pyle really just wanted to rest he was yeah. And this was the era when he was so famous that tourist yes. buses would drop off tourists because he wrote about where his house was in a column. Right. Wow. So Often they, in a wistful way, right? Mm-hmm. Like he wanted to go back there. Right. And so then huh. they would just be swarming him. Interesting. And he got no rest, basically. Yeah. He writes about one incident where uh, he says, uh, I think he calls him a peacenik or something, on a <laughs> bicycle comes up and starts yelling at him, you know, like, you know, we, uh, you warmonger, whatever, you know, calls him all these names. And he's like, are you for war? And uh, Ernie Pyle says, no. And and then the, the guy on the bicycle says, are you for peace? And Ernie Pyle says, no, I just want some sleep. Uh-huh. <laughs> so he goes into Gosh. his house. Wow. Come on, you can always endorse peace. <laughs> yeah, Ernie but Pyle. I think he was just super <laughs> tired and cranky. So tired. And yeah. Didn't want to be yelled at while peace he was and outside. Sleep, these are not mutually exclusive. <laughs> You could it, w- it would help you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting. Well, maybe as an, as Albuquerque writers ourselves, he's someone we need to reckon with and think about and like oh, yeah. read yeah. and stuff. Yeah. You know? So he goes to the Pacific Theater, and that I read was influenced by Eleanor Roosevelt. Oh yeah, that she wrote him to say, "Oh, the good that you did for the soldiers in Italy and North Africa." could right. happen in this hmm. new location. Yeah. And at this point they're having like Ernie Pyle bond drives and Whoa. things like his name is so well known. And he was in a cigarette ad, which he regretted <laughs> later. Wow, good. He was in a cigarette ad. They were making a movie about his life at mm-hmm. this point, about his Whoa. time in, um, in the European theater. It starred uh, Burgess Meredith as <laughs> Ernie Pyle. Burgess Meredith was relatively unknown at this time, but he was a captain in the army. Whoa. And so his uh, army experience, combined with the fact that he was fairly unknown, made him a a good pick for Ernie Pyle. Mm. They thought, and actually, he kind of looks like him, you know? Interesting. Yeah. It's called uh, The Story of G.I. Joe. It was actually made? It was Mm. actually made. You can watch it. It's on YouTube. Cool. Have you seen it? Uh, I've seen clips from it. I haven't seen the whole thing yet. Story of G.I. Joe starting to repel. Weird. Yeah. Uh. So he goes uh, into the Pacific Theater, and it's super hard for him. Um, he's not. He he's not as connected with the men that he's serving with here. Mm. He feels like his heart's been with uh, with the what they call the dog faces mm. in uh, in Europe. Oh, you know the, the infantry in Europe. Huh. So he's not quite as um, quite as engaged. And he's with being it. used for propaganda. It's not like an organic thing, that he right? Is that he's being told to go there. And yeah. He's still writing the kind of columns yeah. he wants, but yeah. um, 
It's definitely part of it is he's huh. I mean, by this point he's won a Pulitzer Prize for his reporting. Whoa. It's uh, he's a huge deal. Wow. Um but he doesn't really want to be there and his interest in war, you know, whatever he had from having missed World War One is gone by this point. And mm-hmm. he sees it as just a very dark time. Um and then when victory is declared in Europe, it stings him because he wishes he were he were with uh, his, sure. his men there. So interesting. And then nineteen forty five during the Battle of Okinawa, this is uh, April of nineteen forty five. So then he shifted to the Pacific, huh? Right. He's with the, in the Pacific. So it's April uh, 17th, 1945, and he's traveling with the U.S. Army's 305th Infantry Regiment on the Isle of Yajima, which at that point is called Yashima, um, which is northwest of Okinawa. They, mo- the, the thickest of the fighting is already over, and he's traveling with what, like the colonel's? Yeah, one colonel and a major, right? And some other officers, and he chose that particular car because of the antenna. Yeah, so there was the command radio on the car, right? Versus the others didn't have that antenna, that visible antenna. And suddenly, like out of nowhere, you know, they've already like won what they think of as the battle in this area, and then suddenly enemy fire comes out from behind the trees. Um, everybody takes cover in a ditch nearby, and then um, Pyle and the uh, the cap- uh, Colonel Coolidge, who's with him, they stick their head out to look, and then there's another burst that goes right over their heads. Mm-hmm. He says, I looked at Ernie, and I saw that he had been hit. Um, a machine gun bullet entered his left temple just under his helmet and killed him instantly. Oh. This was... Arguably the most ho- high-profile death in uh, on the American side in World War II. Like, this was somebody... Hmm. People were reading every week his columns, and then for him to have been killed was a huge blow to, um, to people who were reading at home. The infantry erected a, uh, a little hmm. memorial that said, you know, on this day, our pal Ernie Pyle was hit by, a, by an enemy mm-hmm. bullet. Um, his wife, Jerry, supposedly took it well when she was first told. Everybody like admired her bravery and so forth. However, she immediately hit that decline again. And uh, when, within six months, she had died herself. Uh, she contracted influenza um, and just never recovered. She died at St. Joseph's Hospital wow. in, uh, in Albuquerque. Wow. wow. I spent a month there once. I mean, I'm glad it was there. Yeah, but. sure. <laughs> but, <laughs> whoa. Um, the city immediately made plans to purchase his home mm-hmm. and turn it into a memorial of some kind. And it would become the Ernie Pyle Branch Library, the first branch of the Albuquerque public library system. So cool. Other yeah. than the, the main library itself. Um, and if you go there today, you can see Ernie Pyle memorabilia. Um, a ton. A ton of it. A fair, yeah. There's binders with all his columns. You can see his hat, <laughs> his yeah. typewriter that he wrote on. And uh, Cheetah, the dog, actually outlived both Ernie Pyle and his wife mm. and was buried in the backyard after Cheetah's death. And you can go visit 
Cheetah's grave. No idea what happened to Piper, but. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go to that. I, that's like one of the only branches I think I haven't been to in the library. You need to go It's to worth that. a visit. It's it such wild. a, I mean, it mm-hmm. it really is someone's house. It feels yeah. like yeah. someone's house. Whoa. Um, that's so cool that even exists still. So when he died, he had his final column in his pocket. Hmm. And the it was sent to his publisher. Um, and they elected not to publish it because it was so dark. Hmm. And I think that, I think it, I think it, I feel like I want to share that hmm. column yeah. here, so sure. I'm going to go ahead and, and read it. On Victory in Europe by Ernie Pyle. And so it is over. The catastrophe on one side of the world has run its course. The day that it had so long seemed would never come has come at last. I suppose emotions here in the Pacific are the same as they were among the allies all over the world. First, a shouting of the good news with such joyous surprise that you would think the shouter himself had brought it about. And then an unspoken sense of gigantic relief, and then a hope that the collapse in Europe would hasten the end in the Pacific. It has been seven months since I heard my last shot in the European war. Now I am as far away from it as it is possible to get on this globe. This is written on a little ship laying off the coast of the island of Okinawa, just south of Japan on the other side of the world from Ardan. But my heart is still in Europe, and that's why I am writing this column. It is to the boys who were my friends for so long. My one regret of the war is that I was not with them when it ended. For the companionship of two and a half years of death and misery is a spouse that tolerates no divorce. Such companionship finally becomes a part of one's soul, and it cannot be obliterated. True, I am with American boys and the other war not yet ended, but I am old-fashioned and my sentiment runs to old things. To me, the European war is old and the Pacific war is new. Last summer, I wrote that I hoped the end of the war would be a gigantic relief, but not an elation. In the joyousness of high spirits, it is easy for us to forget the dead. Those who are gone would not wish themselves to be a millstone of gloom around our necks. But there are many of the living who have burned into their brains forever the unnatural sight of cold, dead men, scattered over the hillsides and in the ditches along the high rows of hedge throughout the world. Dead men, by mass production, in one country after another, month after month, and year after year. Dead men in winter and dead men in summer. Dead men in such familiar promiscuity that they become monotonous. Dead men in such monstrous infinity that you come almost to hate them. These are the things that you at home need not even try to understand. To you at home, they are columns of figures, or he is a near one who went away and just didn't come back. You didn't see him lying so grotesque and pasty beside the gravel road in France. We saw him. Saw him by the multiple thousands. That is the difference. I think that gives a real insight into into his mindset at that time. Yeah, and that questioning of, I mean, just why? Why do all this for, for what? All those dead men. Just that refrain of dead men. Right. Ooh. By mass production. So, so that's Ernie Pyle. <sighs> wow. I didn't know this one would be so heavy. I thought, oh, a quirky character of local interest. <laughs> you know, mental illness, depression, yeah. suicide attempts. 
the horrors of war. Premature death. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm watching this uh, documentary on World War II on, yeah. uh, on Netflix. It's um, called World War II in Color through the BBC, and they right. colorize a bunch of footage. So I'm watching that with my son because I think you kind of need to know right. a bit about it. And one thing is they show a lot of, a lot of corpses in it, and it's hmm. really sometimes they don't make an impression at all, and then other mm-hmm. times you're just like, oh, my God, uh, that's a real person uh, who died yeah. there. And it's just... It's like that repetition, you know, I can't even begin to understand what it would have been like to actually have been through that. But I feel like that column um, gives an insight in just the the fatigue of it. Yeah, it does. It sounds tired throughout. Yeah. Exhausted. Yeah. So he never came home, and now you can visit his house. It's in, you know, pretty much looks, there are pictures from inside the house. Mm Mm-hmm. Looks very similar to uh, to what it looks like now, except there's a lot more books and DVDs and things. But hmm. the house itself, the structure of the house, mm-hmm. looks about the same. That's so. really interesting. Whoa! Wow. Shall we? Uh, well, call it a day then. Let's never have another world war. How about that? Yeah, that let's, sounds good. Let's avoid that good call. forever. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Let's heed Ernie Pyle's Re- last column. Yeah, resist the beating of the drums of war. I hear those drums start beating sometimes. You just you hear do? those radio reports, and you're like, "What? Oh, We're sure. propaganda. This is not good." You know, I'm not for this war or any war. And thanks to Gabriel Hesch of the Breaking Math podcast for providing the Man on the Street segment. You should definitely check out his podcast. Uh, It's all about the stories behind mathematics. It's available on iTunes and wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Thank you, guys. This was great. I learned learned so much, you two. And we'll uh, we'll be back fairly soon sometime. Yeah. Sit you on the edge. Keep an eye out.